He was a man without podcast spirit. What do you mean I don't have any podcast spirit? I'm a busy businessman in the big city. I don't have time for podcast spirit. But on a fateful trip home, everything changed. What do you mean I have to go to my grandfather's podcast farm all the way upstate? It's the day before the big meeting. There, he'd learn the spirit of podcasts. I think I'm a little old to believe in the Podcast Republic app, don't you think? But under his nose this whole time was the free solution to his problems. I don't care about the big meeting anymore. All I care about is you and me and favoriting my podcast so they stream instantly to my device. This holiday season... Merry Podcast to all in the free Podcast Republic app. Available on the Google Play Store. Do you hear that, Andrew? Hear what, Trip? The the jingling of, of jingle bells. <laughs> the holiday season is upon us. And this holiday season, there's one important thing for you to do. Uh, get your letter to Santa? That, and then also... Hang the stockings with the by the chimney with care. Yes, also that. And then visit patreon.com slash dissecting the 80s and check out our rewards tiers to find the one that's right for you. It makes a great holiday gift to yourself. And who on your list is more important than you? Happy holidays, Dissecting the 80s. What a great gift. And best wishes from Dissecting the 80s. At the $2 level, you get the monthly Bag of Soup Sentinel, which gives you a sneak peek at what's coming up, as well as our favorite things we're watching that month. At the $5 level, you get a bonus episode on a quarterly basis. If you want to get really crazy, there's an $88 level, which is still available. No one has taken. You get a vinyl recording of the show, as well as some other really great stuff, like you do at the $10 level, where after 12 months, you get to pick an episode. Visit patreon.com slash the 80s and check out all the fine things on. Happy holidays. Welcome to Dissecting the 80s. I am Trip Lano, one half of the Mega Podcasting Powers, and with me... As always, is my tag team partner, a man who knows that if you're going to buy jokes, you should see or hear them first. The Macho Mandrew. Andrew Leno. But then I guess that's kind of the, like, what the, the, you'd get them for free then. You hear the joke, you're like, okay, cool, I'm not paying, bye. Well, that would be joke theft. That would be, that would be gauche, I think. Yeah, but also, like, the game's called Grand Theft Auto, not Grand Theft Joke. So, like, <laughs> who's talking about Grand Theft Joke? I mean... I mean, I feel like other comics would shun you. But anyway, we're talking about stand-up comedy because we watched the... Terrible. Very... <laughs> that is a way to describe it. Uh, the stand-up comedy film that's not all that funny, starring Tom Hanks, because it is, of course, our favorite holiday. Well, second favorite. I think February is my favorite, oh, see, so to be honest. It's my third, then, because Spooktacular is my Okay, okay. Well, T. Hanksgiving is a loving <laughs> tradition here on the show that <laughs> ranks third among our three traditions here on this show for you. That's good to know. Um, we watched Punchline, which celebrates its 30th birthday this year. So you know what that means. We gotta go back. We gotta go dissect the 80s. It's a hacky comedy. Something's gotta be done about your hacky comedy. When the mega powers explode. I'm talking about the 80s. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. We also use the term celebrated very loosely because I've never heard of this movie. 
until we talk about it on the show. <laughs> and I will never talk about it again until I tell someone, don't watch that movie. I meant Tom Hanks is celebrated. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fair. Sheriff Woody. I mean, big, any number of things. Um, it's, it's a weird movie, and we'll get into a lot of that stuff. But I, I do want to say off the top, I was looking at some of the reviews from the time of the release. And one of the things that's most interesting is they talk about how, oh my gosh, how do you make a movie about stand-up comedy that's not funny? Which I thought was interesting, one, because I didn't think the movie was very funny, but a lot of the jokes are very dated. But more importantly, I think people really miss the ball. I, for a brief time, did stand up in Baltimore. Oh, that's I was right. Like, uh, looking for like my thing and trying to find what I liked and what I was trying to do. And for maybe like seven or eight times, I went out and did stand up comedy. Actually, you know what? I'll be crazier. I just recently found the first time I did it, I recorded oh. it. Uh, if we get to the eighty dollar Patreon support tier within by the uh, let's say the end of the year, end of twenty eighteen, if we get up to eighty, uh, I will put that video. I've never shown it to anybody. I will not put, even not me. even you. I've never seen it. Yeah, no, I've never shown it to anybody. If we get up to eighty dollars, I'll put it out online. There's anyway, I'll put that up if we get to eighty dollars by the end of the year. Eighty dollars a month group, not one person. So, but the reason that I stopped doing stand up and, and I and I didn't continue doing that is because the people who were at these open mics to a person almost were miserable i mean miserable they were not fun people to hang around with it was not like a a real yeah it wasn't like a good like you know everybody's laughing and it's light and joyous and funny it was really dark and it was a lot of mining the painful situations of my life in order to find jokes on stage and that's what a lot of pro comedians do too i don't think i'm telling anybody anything particularly you know world shattering like the sad clown thing exists for a reason many comedians who have struggled with you know substance abuse for this reason i mean it's not uncommon but it was weird to see at the like micro local level it's it was a lot of the same thing and it was really cool for me personally when i found improv because the folks i met doing improv which i also think are like really fairly equatable terms of you know comedy improv people in my experience are much more positive and much more um extroverts whereas most of the stand-ups i met were introverts except when they were on stage which i thought was really interesting so i i think it's not weird that a movie about stand-up comedy would have a lot of miserable people in it because my own experience obviously you know the plural of anecdote is not data but my own experience was yeah no this jives (laughs) like all these people are miserable as shit and all the people i met were pretty miserable too okay that's fair i still didn't like this movie no, I don't think it defends the movie at all, but I think it's I think it's really realistic for a movie about stand-up comedy to be kind of dark and sad and not a comedy because I don't think the world of stand-up comedy is all that funny. I think there's a lot of darkness there. But I think there's a way to do it in a way that frankly doesn't feel like my time was wasted for two effing hours. <laughs> this movie is 2 hours long and it should have been a tight 2 hours and 8 minutes actually. It should have been a tight 90. Yeah, I, it's way too long. But let's let's get into it. We start with Sally Field, National Treasure, at a diner doing this mysterious meeting. And it kind of seems like she's having an affair. But then... Then it kind of seems like drugs. Yep, yeah, yeah. It does kind of seem like drugs. This dude is like, you got the you got the money? And she pulls out 500 bucks. And he hands her off a list of jokes. And they're awful. We see her. We cuts to her, like, on stage. And she's like... You know, telling terrible. Pol- did you write any of them down? I, they were so bad. I didn't. Do, I, I did didn't write. Okay. I can't tell who's supposed to be a bad comedian in this movie. 
<laughs> so this movie, 1988, is like probably right around the comedy boom that happened. So you probably don't remember this, and well, I barely. I, it was 88, do. so no. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> do you remember? I remember there was a time when every comedian like got their own, like Seinfeld, George Lopez, Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah, so, okay, so that that was kind of like wave two. In the late 80s, early 90s, there was a huge stand-up comedy boom where, like, it was on every channel. It was on, like, it was on all the time. Stand-up comedy was, like, the thing. And there was a huge – I've read about this, too, beyond my own personal experience, but there was, like, a huge proliferation of comedy clubs, and that's how, you know, it kind of blew up all over the place, and a lot of comics – that became like hugely famous were traveling the country and doing these clubs. And then they got bigger and bigger and bigger. But a lot of the comedy of that era is not like clever, interesting writing. A lot of it was characters and big personalities and stuff like Andrew Dice Clay, who has turned into a fine dramatic actor here in his old age. Really? But like his, his, yeah, he was, he was, what the hell did I watch him? in that he was really good. in? he's also in Jonah Hill's, I think Jonah Hill's new movie and people have been raving about what? No, not that. He was just in something recently that people are raving about it again. It's not that important. We're not here to talk about Andrew Dice Clay's acting career, but his... Andrew Dice Pod. Yes, oh. yes. But but his whole shtick was like, oh, hickory dickory dock, the lady suck my... Like, his whole shit is terrible. Like, it's just a big, loud, bombastic asshole. The guy you don't want to make eye contact with at a party. Yes, yes, yes. And you're, like, desperately hoping he's not coming over to talk to you. Because Let me look at my phone really aggressively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Please don't ask me to talk to you. Okay. Anyway, so a lot of the the comedy in this movie reflects that era of stand-up in which there's not any jokes. Like, the one guy's whole shtick is he carries a huge boombox and he dances. He doesn't tell any jokes. Like, this, it's not even it's prop comedy. It's single prop comedy. Well, then there's the singing nun who just, like, gets on stage and it's a dude in a nun costume. And I don't... Does he put makeup on? I don't think he puts makeup on. I don't think so. And just sings, like, show tunes. Yeah. That's not comedy. That's an interesting no. act to watch. Like, I'd watch it. But that's yes. not comedy. And then later they throw in one random woman that we've never seen at the end who sings badly a song that I've never heard. Yes. Yeah. This movie doesn't spend enough time with the comedians. I'll say that. They're like... Yeah. It's like the, we mostly hang out with Sally Field and Tom Hanks. And one half of them I didn't want to see at all. <laughs> I'm very curious. I hated Tom Hanks' character. Oh, okay. There were zero redeeming qualities. He, had no, he wasn't charming. He wasn't like... I didn't find him funny. He was just like an entitled prick. Who had mental? I mean, you're not who had wrong. mental breakdowns left and right, and didn't work for anything in his life. It seems. Yeah. So okay, she buys these jokes. We cut to Tom Hanks. This is how we introduce him in the movie. He's like late for a thing. He's running to make what we find out as an exam. He gets into the exam, and they're like, "Your written test scores were incredible. They seem too incredible." So they start quizzing him on things, and he fails miserably. He turns out that he has lied and cheated his way through medical but school, did he and cheat? so they expel him. I thought it, it was never expressly stated by Tom Hanks that he did cheat. It was just the professors thought he did because when they start quizzing him, he seems to like pull everything out. If he didn't cheat, I feel like he would have known all the answers to the questions they were asking. That's fair. The movie could have been clearer, I guess. Agreed 100%. It could have been more clear and it, you know, that would have been better. That's going to be In our fact, t-shirt. Would have that's been... our first, that's our first merch. <laughs> the, the movie could have been clear. could have clearer. explained that. <laughs> <laughs> the movie doesn't tell you that. And then the second one will be, I took an Uber out of a movie. <laughs> and the back will just be five stars. Yeah, exactly. So we cut to Hanks on stage. And, Being a racist. Uh, yeah. 
there's so much shitty Asian racist stuff in this movie that's just like, ugh. They also call him a state, like, all the other comedians call Tom Hanks a stage hog, so, like, is there no set time for how long they each at? Like, I feel like at this weird little comedy club, they'd be like, okay, he's our star, he gets, you know, six minutes, you each, everyone else gets five, or whatever, that might be too short, but there's... Five minutes is usually what it is. That's what it seemed like. But I was like, why would there not be, like, a, how is he a stage hog? Because that seems, like, not cool. So that's that's a funny thing. I obviously run the Baltimore Podcast Festival. We've talked about it on here before. The thing that I find really fascinating is when I was doing stand-up, people constantly ran over their time. Constantly. I mean, just constantly. The guy would be, like, yelling. And I've even see, I even went to one where the, the, the MC literally went up on stage and took the mic from the person because they wouldn't stop. Like, they were they just kept doing. It was like, he saw the light and was like, oh, I'll do my last bit then. And he's like, no, no, that means you're done. And the guy wouldn't get off stage. And he finally just went up and he was like, literally give me the microphone right now. And the guy did it and then left. Um, but it was it was oh, really awkward. We need, the hook. we need to get the hook back. Y- yes, yes. So there's definitely that. And there's also a thing where the best and most famous comedians, like when I, I'm str- like if Patton Oswalt showed up at a comedy club, right? He would take time away from other people. If True. he just like dropped down from like not a Patton Oswalt show, if it was just like, oh, I just showed up at a stand up comedy thing. You know what's really sad? It took me like a good 10 seconds to come up with one that is not a huge monster piece of crap. It was like, I was about to drop name drops of comedians and I was like, no, no, no. Oh, Pat Nozzle. He's okay. Yeah. I, I, I'm, uh, I enjoy comedians and now I can't name. Oh, uh, oh yeah. Jo- John Mulaney. John Mulaney. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, there's a good, there's a non terrible person out there. So if someone like that shows up at like the comedy cellar in New York on a random Tuesday, they would push other people out. But Tom Hanks doesn't seem to be that level of comedian. He just seems to be the best guy of the open mic crowd. So it's weird that they would just like casually let him run all over other people. If he, if this movie was today, he would be the worst YouTuber. Yes. Like he'd be the YouTuber you he and would. I hate. Yeah, he would be really terrible. But I do like, I do like that this weird seemingly boys club comedy club place is taking a chance on sally field who's like a middle-aged housewife who's like trying her best we'll say yeah yeah and she they still ask her back and here's the thing that i find odd about this movie more than anything else it's that the the reason that i ever even attempted to do stand-up comedy is because and I'm, there's no way to say this without sounding somewhat braggadocious but throughout my life like people have told me i was funny yeah. And I have like got I've told stories that made people laugh and I've gotten better at telling stories that make people laugh. And I, I would hope that some of you out there listening to this show laugh listening to this show. Otherwise, we're really doing a bad job at what we're setting out to do here. So because of that, I was like, oh, I will try to take some of these things that I've told in at parties and whatever and tell them on stage as a joke, you yeah. know, as a stand up joke. She doesn't seem to be funny. Like, she doesn't make witty, intelligent comments. She doesn't, like, do any joke telling except when she's on stage. Or joke writing, it seems. Right. And it just seems like an utterly bizarre thing to, like, really want to do if you don't do it. You know what I mean? It's like it's like someone who's just, like, an accountant and then one day is like, I'm going to quit my job and be an actor. And it's like, well, why weren't you, like, you know, Shout out to Jessica Bosk. Or- <laughs> right but like if you wanted to if you had an ambition to do a thing don't you think you would have tr- like had a you know some sort of thing in it it just seems so odd that she's like no i'm gonna be a stand-up comedian like, it's like well 
why this movie should <laughs> why this this movie should have opened with a, a baby sally field in the audience of like the johnny carson show or something and it should be a sally field voiceover of like and he was the funniest he came into the room and that's when i realized i wanted to be a stand-up comedian cut to her in the like it's her telling that story in the gas station and no one's laughing yes like, that's what it should have been be like oh i get it now it makes sense now i see why she's trying this so it's joke fellas for oh. as long as I wanted to remember, I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. Sure. <laughs> That's literally the opening of Goodfellas. I, I, I think we talked before, you've never seen that movie. Yeah, you should watch it. But it's the, like it's the, the opening of a lot of, of Goodfellas. The beginning of Goodfellas is literally, for as long as I could remember, I wanted to be a gangster. And it cuts to, like, a young boy hanging out with mobsters at their, like, hangout spot so that he can, like, get in Wait, with them. Wait, isn't that also Bronx Tale? Doesn't say he doesn't... He takes someone under his wing, right? A, a Bronx Tale is similar to that, yes. Okay, because I've seen that one. It's not identical. It's not... A, it, it, Goodfellas is mostly about them as adults. A Bronx Tale is mostly about the child. Gotcha. Okay. But yeah, so she she asked Tom Hanks for help, with, and, you know, backstage, she's like, look, everyone says you're the funniest here. I think you're really funny. I'd love to, like, you know, buy you coffee and pick your brain and buy you lunch. Like, can I... Can you help me? Would, would you help me? And he's like... He's like, no, F you, and just bounces out of there. And then I realized, oh, this is a Tom Hanks redemption movie, and I'm not into it. <laughs> you gotta have tanks on top from the beginning. Yeah, or, or, like, he either needs to f- seem redeemable. Like, I have not, like, with, in the five minutes I've met him, there's nothing redeemable about this character. Like, right. they're needed... Except that he's funny. Allegedly. Like, and the, yes. In the kayfabe. I was gonna say, the movie tells you he's funny. Yeah, exactly. In the kayfabe, Tom Hanks is hilarious. In the the eyeballs that I have and ears that I have, not so. Yeah. Um, and, like, I will, I will public service announcement this, that, like, if you're trying to be a performer in some kind and you know that there's a good performer and you want to pick their brain, offer to, like, hey, can I buy you a coffee? Can I buy you something to compensate for you taking some time to chat with me? Because a lot of times, yes. like, those people have worked really hard to get where they are, and, like, they're not going to be like, okay, sure, I'll take time out of my day that I could be, you know, choreographing or making or whatever to talk to you for free. Like, be yeah. cool. Be cool to performers and artists. So I will say, if it's in the room, at, like, a comedy, like a comedy club, right? Like, there's a backstage area. I don't think it's unreasonable to, like, have a chit-chat with a person oh, in that place. That's different. Like, but, if you're but both at the there. Point, at the po- exactly. But, like... At the point where you're asking for that favor, you should have had made several attempts at the casual chit chat to where it's like this person at least somewhat knows who you are and it's not a cold call. And and then then you can do the, okay, let me buy you lunch, please. I would love to talk to you about this thing I'm working on. I need some help. Someone smarter than me, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. But so the owner of the club sends Tom Hanks to meet with this talent scout and uh, he basically schmoozes with this lady and she's like, Oh, you're so funny. And you know, you know, there's things for you and da, 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 da. Um, meanwhile, Sally field, it's like probably my favorite part of the whole movie flags down a cab. Oh, I love this part. The, <laughs> the driver is like, uh, I'm, I'm heading back to the depot. And she's like, I'm only going a few blocks. And he's like, all right, get in. And then as soon as she gets in, she's like, you're taking me to New Jersey. I've got your badge number and your name and you're taking me to New Jersey. And that's the end of it. But here's the craziest thing about this. How much money she spends in How- cabs? Yes! So much money on cab fare! Like, what the hell? She spent the last $500 that, like, she had put away over time, and it was, like, her little... Rainy Day Sally Field Fund. Yeah, yeah. And the, and at, at one point, like, Tom 
sorry, John Goodman needs to borrow money and is like, oh, I'll take it out of the jar and there's no money in it. And he's like, what the hell? But she spent that whole $500 on the jokes. Who the hell's paying for all this cab fare? Like, cabs are expensive as hell. She's got that uh, Lyft membership thing. <laughs> I I once I once took a cab in New York City for, like, an incredibly short distance. And I was, once it hit, like, $12, I was like, just this corner is fine. And I was nowhere near where I wanted to go. But I was like, I can't, this, I'm literally watching my money get set on fire in front of me. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. She's going from Manhattan to New Jersey. There's nowhere in New Jersey that, that is that close. Right, plus bridges, plus tolls. This is easily $40 each way. Mm-hmm. Easily. And she's going several times a week. Yes. And $40, 1988. Now yeah. it would probably 100. be 100 Yeah, easily. So w- that we get to the Sally Fields house, and the, ho- the like duties of homemaking, which are hers and hers alone, um have fallen by the wayside. Like the kids clothes aren't cleaned and the food's not ready. And you know, breakfast isn't ready. And it's just like whole big cluster. And John Goodman is like really shitty about it. I think. So, okay. I, I have thoughts. I have a hard time with this piece. I do too, because to me, it, it, the, it feels like the movie is trying to, co- the movie is clearly coloring it in a way that Sally Field's not being completely honest with her family about what she's doing with her nights and her time and how much time she wants to invest in this. Yes. And I feel like, in if it if the situation had been like oh we are like look this is something i want to do and i'm going to do it so that's just the end of it and like every night i'm going to be there so i'm not going to be able to do these things in the house like it felt like no one was clearly communicating in that family no and that doesn't excuse the misogyny of like you're a woman your place is to make the home but like if the agreement when they married was like i'm going to be working all day you're going to take care of the home and then all of a sudden she was just, they were like doing other things and not talking to each other, then, like, that's shitty for everybody. And also, not that it matters, but it doesn't seem like Sally Field's character has a job. Like, she's in New York City during the day. It's not like she's she's also working. She doesn't have a salaried position. Yes, sorry. She doesn't have a job outside the home, which is when John Goodman, for for his part of it, being like, hey, um, I I thought that, you know, this was going to be this and that was going to be that. And if it's not, like, I need to know what the hell to do here, because all I'm doing is microwaving frozen dinners. Yeah. And also, the insane amount of time to commute back and forth from Jersey to Manhattan <laughs> on a regular basis via taxi cab. Like, I'm sorry, but I can't get over this. Like, it's so much time. It is in the evening, though. It's so, so no much traffic. time. Maybe. I don't know how the hell she's getting there in the first place. Is it by train? I, it seems crazy. It's unclear. Again, the movie doesn't explain that. No. So here's here's the other part though that I that is that is fascinatingly buck wild to me. But I do hate how it shitty is definitely your family a thing. is. I will say that. I do hate how yes. generally uh, yeah, shitty yeah, I'm your sorry. family is. Yeah, no, they are. And and it's weird too because like in the third act, of course, everybody gets on board and it's just really stupid. But it just it just seems like manufactured conflict for the sake of having a movie. Like if Sally Field truly didn't talk to her family about the fact that she was gonna go after this dream and she also no longer was doing all the things that she normally did was like, you know, the, the laundry and the, all of the like jobby job parts of running a household that she took on as part of this. She's the bad guy. Mm -hmm. Like these kids, these kids are eating shitty frozen meals and their clothes aren't clean and their mom's never home. Like that sucks. Yeah. It's not, she's not the hero in that story because there's no communication. And if the, if the movie had been, she communicated this clearly and then they still expected her to do everything. 
that puts them in the wrong, and that's what it should have been. Exactly. It's, it's a really exactly. easy solution here. Yes, yes. Because there's a real possibility that the family is like, hell yeah, mom, I'll learn how to do this thing, and you know, teach me how to do the laundry, and teach me how to do the dishes, so that you can chase this dream that you want to do. Should have been the like, Mr. Mom. Yeah, like yeah, or or just like, hey, every on every Sunday we have a huge cooking day and we make a bunch of dinners that we can pop in the fridge and freezer so that mom can chase her dream and like as a family we work together. And in thirty years they'll call that meal prep. Yeah, exactly. Like a bunch <laughs> of people will take pictures of it and be like hashtag paleo. Like you can, <laughs> you, can quinoa. you can do this. Yeah, exactly. Um But so sorry, I wanted to I wanted to to, to segue into this next point. So one of the big like cherry on top of the conflict Sundays is John Goodman being like, Hey, my bosses are coming over soon. You need to have that dinner ready. And so we can press them or sorry, it's not bosses. It's like a client. He's trying to impress. This is exclusively a thing I think happens in movies and television. I think it might've just been an old thing. Like I, like I think once the nineties hit that stopped happening, but I wouldn't be shocked if the eighties was a thing. Well, this is why I want to, this is what I'm asking the listeners of this show out there. If you, or your family, like when you were a kid, your your parents had your your parents, one of their bosses over or a client over. A client, I see like a little more gray area, but it would client, probably be like out to dinner. So taking them home to dinner isn't crazy. But see, that's the point. Like I could see them like, oh, hop, stop by my house and we'll get in my car and I'll drive us to the golf course or whatever. But come in and have dinner with my wife and kids or my husband and kids just seems so bizarre to me. Like, why would you want to do that? I don't know. I, that sounds like a nightmare. Did, did dad ever bring anyone home like that for dinner? No, I I don't have any memory. There were like people from work, but it was never like, but even that was rare. And that was like friendly, like not like, Hello, Mr. Anderson. It's so nice of you to join us in our home. This you is and I are wearing son. suits with short pants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like this is our; these are our sons, Andrew and Trip. Good day, he Mr. Anderson. Good day, Mr. Anderson. We line up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we goodbye <laughs> yeah. up the stairs. Like I just, I, I would love to know genuinely if you're out there listening, and this is something that you either did or your family did or or whatever. And particularly if it still happens now, I have to hear oh, about please, it. But yes. like, please. Please reach out, and I would love to hear this story. Uh, you know, Twitter, or Facebook, email, dissecting80s at gmail.com, like whatever, whatever you want to do. But I would love to hear it because it just seems so absolutely insane to me. Like, if if people at work like ask you to go out to lunch with them, that can feel like awkward, and you know what I mean. Like, yeah. it's tough to sometimes transition those roles, and so it's it. Yeah, I just the idea of it being like. Yes, come over for a home-cooked meal with my family. And these, like, stodgy, uptight people being like, mm, I say, this roast beef is fabulous, <laughs> Sally Field. Nom, 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 nom. It's just so bizarre. It is. It's a very foreign thing. Um, but so John Goodman goes to borrow some money out of the thing. And like you said, sh- the money is gone. And this is where I was like, Sally, you gotta lie a little. Like, don't say you bought mm-hmm. jokes. Say you bought coaching. Like, yeah. hey, I-, I paid for someone to help me get better. Not, I paid for terrible jokes. Yeah, yeah, because, like, at that point, it's like, well, let me hear these $500 jokes, yeah. and it's like, my husband is Polish, which means his name is spelled and blah, 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 and how dumb is he? Uh, when, it was, so was the 80s the end of the, like, Polish joke thing? We we talked Did about we? this just recently, because I, I, when I was in elementary school, I distinctly remember at uh, being in, like, the third grade-ish, 
a janitor telling Polish jokes and me not understanding them, being like, how do you make a Polish guy mad? Tell him there's a penny in the corner of the Oval Office. <laughs> and me being like, I don't get it. What? And I think in our era, it became the same jokes went from Polish to blonde. Okay, which is less offensive. Yeah, but also stupid, but like uh, every Equally Polish dumb, joke. But less offensive. <laughs> but I'm more offended from like a joke telling perspective, right? Like they're also, they're racist. Don't get me wrong. They're racist and shitty. But I'm also offended as someone who likes a joke. Like if you can just swap out the, the subject matter of the joke willy nilly, it's a bad joke. Yeah. You have not written anything intelligent if it's like, how do you make a blonde woman mad? Or how do you make a blonde guy mad? Tell them there's a petty in the corner of the old office. Don't That's pre- a stupid don't joke. Don't pretend people have told blonde guy jokes. No one ever told a blonde guy joke. You're you're not wrong, but as I said, woman, I don't remember the jokes having a uh, a gender. gender. You're right. I it just remember blonde. blonde. It's just blonde. Yeah, you're, you're not wrong. The intent was absolutely misogynistic, but I just don't remember it being like blonde woman. It would just be blonde. Yeah. We go to the next day, and Sally Field is at the diner with Tom Hanks. Uh, Kind of accidentally, I think she's trying to find the guy who sort of the jokes. I can't tell. It's unclear. It seems like she's trying to find the guy who sort of the jokes by just showing up at this diner and hoping he's there. And also, we didn't mention, but this diner is like really classic scuzzy New York. Mm-hmm. It's really. It's a little. It looks a little yeah. sticky. Oh, yeah. But Tom Hanks is there with. Definitely smells like cigarettes. Oh, it, you probably can't even see for the cigarette smoke in this thing. You don't see it in the movie, but <laughs> it would be just like a haze over everything. So she starts talking to Tom Hanks and he's like, oh, he's not here, blah, blah, blah. Um, You know, how can I help you or whatever kind of thing? And he's trying to make some money off of her quickly. So they order spaghetti. And I was more offended by the fact that Tom Hanks cuts his spaghetti up like a tiny little baby man than I have any right to be. (gasps) And if you're out there and you're a spaghetti cutter, it's fine. You're fine. No, it's not. I think you should learn to twirl. You have a spoon for a reason. <laughs> oh, I don't twirl with a spoon. Get that shit out of here. But like you if you can't if you can't twirl, use a spoon. Yeah. It's easy. Twirl with the spoon is what you're saying. Because Tom Hanks could have spooned yes. his chopped up spaghetti into his mouth if he wanted to. Unless it comes out of a can, <laughs> your spaghetti should not be bite-sized. <laughs> I uh I think adult people should twirl. I hope that doesn't offend anybody to the point of driving off the road. And if you break your pasta, I'm breaking your arms. Okay, I'm going to tell this really quickly. Uh, a friend uh, was learning to cook, and like people were showing him how to do things. And he was like, all right, come over. I'm going to make dinner. And invited a few of us over. And it was eggplant parm. So he's got the eggplant, and he puts the eggplant in the oven. And he's like going to boil spaghetti to make the side. And he's like about to, and I, he's about to break it over the pot. And I screamed no, as if like a masked gunman had come into the room and was like holding the dog at gunpoint. I was like, no, what are you doing? And he like turned around, like genuinely alarmed. And I was like, what are you doing? And he's like making spaghetti. I was like, then why are you, why are you breaking the spaghetti? And he was like. What? I was like, just put it in and give it a second and it'll just whoo, slide under. Real easy, pal. And then it was you at, then it was you at gunpoint. <laughs> you holding him at gunpoint. My girlfriend told me she's a spaghetti breaker and it was almost a problem. Well, I guess you're not anymore. <laughs> That's basically how it was. It was it was really like, yeah, I'm sorry, you can't do that. I was like... <laughs> then you're dead. <laughs> this is going to have to stop because what are you doing? But anyway, Tom Hanks cuts the spaghetti up. And then Sally Field fully lays into him, and I was like, good, because maybe this will be the kick in the pants, and he'll tell a story about endearing us to him. And then, nope, no, it's not. He's just a shithead again, and is like, 
well, you have to come with me to uh, really get the jokes. And she's like, well, I I can't be out all day. I do have a life. And he gives her shit. And I'm like, you failed medical school, (laughs) buddy. What are you doing, pal? Yeah, you had obligations, too, till you ruined them. Right. And so they go on this, like, comedy tour through the, like, discount section at New York of, like, you're in an old folks' home. You're at a hospital. Like, this is not big league stuff. You might as well be at a county But I will say... It does make him really successful. Like, if he's constantly working these gigs for money, he's a very successful comedian. Yeah, but how much is he making? I'm saying he's making any money at all from his comedy. That's extremely rare, is what I mean. Like, if he's he's able to cobble together a few paid gigs a week, that makes him, like, in the top 10% of comedians, probably. It's crazy, but it's true. But it it feels like he works constantly, but makes nothing. And so I'm like, then what? Then you need to fix something. It, he's there. making like twenty five bucks a pop to go to like old folks' homes. Yeah, and so he's he, which is probably the money he spends on traveling. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but like this is the only moment in the movie that is I think is meant to endear you to Tom Hanks, and he's like walking out of a hospital, and he sees a little kid, and he walks over to it to hit to the <laughs> child. Pennywise is there, like we all float down here, Tom Hanks. Don't you want it? Don't you want it? I got all these jokes. They're all stereotypes about people's race and ethnicity. <laughs> Prince Albert in a can. No, he did tell one joke. So he like looks at the kid's chart and like kind of frowns and pats him on the head and walks away. And I was like, you know what would have been really helpful to endear me to this character? Any audio from yep. that scene. <laughs> yep. If we could have just had a line. Because honestly, it looks like actual person Tom Hanks, who please don't really be shitty in disguise, please. Actually, good person Tom Hanks just saw an actual kid in the hospital and just walked over and was like, oh, we were filming in the unused wing of this hospital that's being built. What's your name? Oh, I'm Tom Hanks. You might have seen me in Big. It's so nice to meet you. And they were just like, keep filming, keep filming, keep filming. Yeah, it's so bizarre because I was like, I don't know what this kid is sick with. Tom Hanks didn't offer us, didn't like house this and like be like, it's lupus. (laughs) (laughs) It's never lupus. Except one episode. It was, it was One episode, it was lupus. Or Seinfeld. It's not lupus. I needed to know why I gave a shit about this child. Because he doesn't seem particularly no. sick. Like, he's not, like, he doesn't look like a dying No, kid. no. He just looks like a kid in a hospital. Which sucks. Like, it sucks to yeah. see a kid in a hospital. Or anything, but this could easily be, like, a tonsillectomy. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to care about him now because of this, but I don't. Cool. And then Sally Field, like, sprints away to uh go back to her she doesn't house. miss his doubtfire yeah and stops at the grocery store too uh she like buys all the pre-prepared food she basically goes to a snap kitchen yeah. and just buys a bunch but of but she doesn't miss his doubtfire where she's like quickly opening the containers and putting them under her own dishes and like frantically like making it look like this huge home-cooked feast and instead it was just you know the the re- potato wedges and a yeah exactly chicken. but she's like running through the house trying to get dressed and like tells her kids to help and she puts on this it looks, I'm trying to find the gentlest way to say this. It looks like something someone would wear in an adult film parody of the Broadway musical Annie. <laughs> the dress is really ridiculous. Yes. It's like, a, it, actually, no, it looks, or like Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. It looks like the dress Sabrina wears in the end. Yeah. It's got like a white lace collar. It's red. It's got long sleeves with a white, like white ends. And I was like, what? are you wearing sally it's really weird and there's also a callback to like the kitchen sink wasn't working earlier and they all get mad at her about it i guess she was supposed to like call a repairman and didn't and then so she grabs 
the tea kettle and she sticks it in the fish tank and then she starts boiling water? No. And I was like, one, the water out of the fish tank is not drinkable. Two, 100% the punchline of this is there's a fish in there. Yep. And it's a throwaway punchline. It's not even like she, like, I don't know, from a logistical standpoint. Like she-devil. It's not even she-devil with the mouse in the the soup. Like, from a logistical standpoint, it would have been funny if she was, like, pouring a cup of tea and a fish slid out. But, like... I, that would that would the teapot would have to be ridiculous in order for that joke to land. But like it would have been much funnier yeah. if it was like, oh, and here's a spot of tea for you, Mister Anderson, <laughs> goldfish. Yeah, and if it, it would have still been swimming too yes. somehow. Um, so she like pulls dinner together, and I'm really I was like, oh, good. So she's because I was like, I don't feel like watching her get yelled at by her terrible family again. So she pulled this off. Great, everything's going according to plan. Yeah. They like clean the house, they make it ready, and then at dinner. The little girl who tried to help mom make a joke earlier, and it was weird and not funny. She was like, Ma, I have a joke. And I was like, oh boy, the word cocksucker. Yeah. And the religious dudes fully do a spit take. <laughs> it's a good spit take. They, yeah, it's pretty great. It is, it is. And it's red wine, yeah. too. So it's like a mess. And so John Candy, of course, John Candy, oh, I wish John, I- John Goodman. No, John Candy would never be this awful. <laughs> I can't, no. John Candy would have been so supportive and, like, would have, would have learned been how to Buck. cook in order for her to, like, be able to chase her dreams. And and she, John Candy yeah, should, yeah, could have been exactly. one of the guys in the club. Like, one of the other comedians that we didn't spend enough time with. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I wrote, I don't care about Hank's story, all I want is Sally Field. But I don't know why I wrote that. Because we didn't cut to him. Well, he gets, he gets blown off the by... The Right, that's what it is. She blows him off. She's like supposed to be coming and doesn't, and he has like really thought it was going to be a big deal, but it uh, mm-hmm. they they just didn't they didn't come. And uh, this is what I wrote. This movie is a weirdly structured dramedy, and the weaselly villain, the clearly villain character who's like weaselly and was in that episode of Seinfeld, is not in the movie enough to be important. Right. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Also, I, I missed the window to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway because it, it occurred to me now. It's really funny how, like, in the language of movies, you have to be under the age of six or over 86 in order for a cocksucker to be funny, right? Like, that is only that joke is exclusively given to children and old ladies. That's true, yeah. Like, anybody else says that, it's an insult. But either those groups use it, it's like, Or like a oh. playful banter insult. Yeah, 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 exactly. Another interesting thing about the movie, again, like the way it colors characters, is that they, they kind of paint the club manager to be this villain who's only interested in money. Right. I find him really endearing and heartfelt. The, the part where he's like really trying to horn in on Hanks and be his manager and make money off of him feels really greasy. But the pay, there's no payoff to that ever. So it never like becomes the truth that he is yeah. like a creeper. Yeah. He feels very much like I care about all the people in this club and I want everyone to succeed. It feels like I didn't. So I'm going to lift everyone up as much as I can. And also just from like a straight business standpoint of like, I want funny people to come here and tell jokes because when that happens, I make money. Like the only way I make money is if you all are good. So I want you to be good. Yeah. So they he they tell the club owner is like. Make me your manager. Give me ten percent. Make me your manager. Give me ten or fifteen percent, whatever it is. And then he thinks he's like he, Tom Hanks about to go on stage and thinks that the yes. talent scout is there. Yes, and so he agrees, and they go up on stage, and it turns out it's not the talent scout; it's his dad and his brother who have like rolled in to watch him fail because they didn't know he was a comedian, but now they're they, here. They, I think he said he's kept it hidden because his dad wouldn't approve or he told his dad and his dad said, no, that's bad. And then he just like never told him again. Again, didn't explain it. 
I really honestly, my favorite part of the movie is watching him just like absolutely die on stage. And I know this sounds like really, really weird, but there's a certain joy to be had in really just miserably failing at the stand-up thing. So, and I, especially when you're a shitty character. Well, no, 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 no. I'm I'm speaking from my own experience. So. I did stand up a few times, right? I never, like, maybe 10 times. I'm not trying to say I had, like, I'm not, <laughs> I didn't pick this movie so I could tell stand up stories because it's not like I have any good ones. Um, but I had told a joke that went really well and then I kind of like refined it and I told it again a few weeks later and it got big laughs both times. And then I had found out about an open mic in Frederick where I was living at the time. And so I was like, oh, I'll go there and I'll do this joke that I've worked on a few times and like I'll know if it's good because it'll be totally different people. And, I started this story that has like a few minute punchlines and builds up to a big punchline. And at, like at that point, I had told this a lot and it was great. And I, not great, but I like in, in terms of like being a finished product, it was like a finished product. And yeah, nothing like just nothing. Absolute silence. Like the parts where I normally get like, you know, it's like having told it a few times, like, you know where the beats are, right? You're like, this is a line to hit really hard because this gets a laugh and then you wait a second and you pick the story up again. And so I was like going, it was like a rehearsed routine where I was like, blah, 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 crickets, blah, 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 crickets, blah, 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 crickets. And so as it went on, the fact that nobody liked it became hilarious to me because it was like, well, this is not going well. And it, instead of just like, like stopping, I was just plowing ahead with it. And so the last half of it, like at first it was terrifying, right? Like the first two or three times when there's supposed to be a laugh and there wasn't, it's like, oh no, it's so quiet up here. But then afterwards it was like, no, I kind of really enjoy this. Now I'm going to make you listen to all of it because you don't find it funny. Ha <laughs> ha, joke's on you. I'm going to tell my story anyway. So it was really fun to watch that like vicariously because if it's happening in a room that you're in you feel genuinely bad for the person but watching it be tom hanks is like i don't gotta feel bad for that guy at all so it's this like vicarious thrill of like you know i bet he's enjoying it a little bit like it's kind of nice i lose my mind when the audience doesn't laugh like (laughs) because we have moments like i do bloody musicals every summer and this past year i played shelly in evil dead the musical who is the slut who dies first and, like, the character's not supposed to be played by a dude. So it's me in a dress and literally, like, lights up. I whip my hair. It's all five of us in a, like, yeah, a cardboard yeah, yeah. car. And I'm a dude, clearly a dude in a wig with painted on boobs. Yeah. And, like, I have a tramp stamp. And so another reveal was as soon as we parked the car, I got out and turned my back to the audience. And, like, got a chuckle, What like, most times. One night, it was, like, hair whip, nothing. Tramp stamp, nothing. Me doing the choreo too long because I'm stupid, nothing. And I was like... Well, you know what, y'all? You're on board for this ride, so shape up or ship out. Yeah, I think it's different when it's you on a team versus by yourself. But there's like, like, like I said, maybe it's just me, but there's like a weird kind of joy to, that I got out of just miserably failing. And honestly, now I occasionally look for opportunities to tell a joke that I know is not going to go over well because I will enjoy and not from like an off color standpoint, but just like this joke is not going to be funny to these people. This is not the crowd. Yeah, I I recently so I I, uh, was the officiant at my friend's wedding and I was ordained. And when you get ordained online, you can buy a doctor of divination certificate for like twenty dollars. I didn't do it, but you can do that. And I joked about doing that to a bunch of people I knew with PhDs 
about like being like, oh, it's so easy. I could just pay nineteen ninety five, and like knowing full well and respecting the fact that these people have worked very hard and did a lot to get these advanced degrees and like busted their asses and worked really hard. But yeah, I knew they were not going to find it amusing that I was joking about buying a doctorate for twenty dollars on the internet. But I was really looking forward to telling that joke because I was like, I'm going to really enjoy watching all of their faces as they try to pretend like they're not wanting to kill me. That's fair. Okay. Back to Tom Hanks flop. He flops harder than than me. And instead of like telling jokes, he starts crying about cutting up frogs and going hunting and like just can't even get a sentence out. And the guy who owns the club decides to fix this by just sending boombox out guy out in the middle of his set. Like Tom Hanks is up there weeping into a microphone and out comes this guy with like boom, 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 and he comes bopping out with a boombox that looks like it weighs, I don't know, six or eight hundred pounds. It's just, it's this emotional breakdown that clearly is supposed to have some gravitas, but I just don't care because we're 45 minutes into this movie. Right. And like, this is the first glimpse of like vulnerability in him yes. and Tom, and I've already written him off at this point. Right. Yeah, I agree. I, I, and then the other thing is, in very short order, he starts to, like, hit on Sally Field, and you're like, no, she's married with children and a happy home life. She just wants to try to be a stand-up. It's not, this is not a metaphor for her being unhappy with her life. You're reading this all wrong. He's so shitty about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. He instantly goes into, like, well, I guess we're gonna bone. Like, no. Yes. So, he fails. Boombox guy comes out. We cut to like a really random scene in a bowling alley for no reason with Tom Hanks and Sally Field, where he's like giving her more tips. And I gotta be honest, I don't, I'm curious how you feel. I do you do you know the name da- David Berkowitz or no? I don't know David Berkowitz. If she had said Son of Sam, okay, I would have been like, oh, I know. So that. I I know David Berkowitz, Son of Sam. Like I know that connection. And so there's a joke about the Manson family, like watching her children, which is funny. Like it's a, it's a, it's a well done joke. And she does like a second one. That's like, and when they're not available, I call a little Davy Berkowitz. And I, I found that like I genuinely kind of chuckled, like not like a full guffaw, but like a, (laughs) and, 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 uh, in the movie, they're like, no, David Berkowitz isn't funny. And then later she like tries to tell this joke and it's just crickets. And it's like, huh, I guess David Berkowitz isn't funny in the movie. I don't quite get why, but okay. Maybe maybe New York was like, no, you gotta take out this joke. Too soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she does a set that absolutely kills, and then we have this like, you know, club hopping, you know, with she's just telling all these jokes and she's at different places and she's just killing it, like doing a great job. Oh, oh she's getting her groove. Yeah. Wait, how is there an hour left in this movie? Yep, exactly. It's so long. So he hits on her and then he kisses her which is like wildly inappropriate, but I can see how it would happen. And she's like, I'm way too old for you. He goes. Also, I'm married. Yeah. <laughs> and happily. So like, this is just me trying to achieve my dream. It's not like, oh, I'm miserable and I need something in my life. It's just that I want to try comedy. It's not, it's not what you think it is. The, the comedy is what's missing in my life. Right. Not, not, not nothing. This isn't, yeah, this is strictly, you know, pound for pound. Yeah. Comedy. So Tom Hanks, because he's a terrible person in this movie, goes to the office of this woman who hadn't shown up for his set. And he like starts berating her. And she's like, Oh, I was mean to tell you, I've basically created the show last comic standing on NBC. And we're going to film it at the club that you work at. And it's only one night. You don't have to keep coming back. Right, right. It's a one night only competition. And we're going to, we're going to crown a best comedian. And they get some prize. I forget what it is, but the prize is substantial. They get it. Like they get to be on like Like Carson. um, 
Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, yeah. Or, I think yeah, I, I think it's Carson. Yeah, yeah. They get a, they get like a late night show spot, which is a big deal. Like it's a huge deal. Yeah. And she already said like you're the best one in this room. So like clearly she thinks she's stacking the deck for you. And he right. lays into her, and it's like, buddy, she promised that she would send someone to come look at you. That's exactly what's happening. Yes, exactly. And and her to her mind, she's like, you're the funniest person in there, so now just be the funniest person in there. It's not like you have to do anything special, just have a good set. And I get yeah. the kudos of a TV special being produced out of it. Like, I, it's a win-win for everybody. Yes! Uh, then there's some really bad lesbian jokes. I don't even... I, I, I Spoiler, I watched this movie half two weeks ago and half, like, today. <laughs> Wait, really? So, yeah, the terrible parts, the like truly terrible parts, I I blocked out. I didn't write a note on them. <laughs> um, Tom tries to convince Sally Field to join this show, and he's like, "I think I'm in love with you." And it's like, "Yo, you're just like really projecting based on the you're 22, probably. Well, maybe. maybe I think medical school is probably older than that, like probably 24, 25." Because he's gone okay, through medical fair. school mostly, so it's it's like at least twenty four, twenty five. But still, she's like got three children and a house, and like she's at least forty. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And he's like threatening to come over and like knock on the door and talk to John Goodman himself. Right, and he, it's just you're a creepy stalker at that point, dude. Like you're not the hero in this story. This movie could have been recut to be like one man's breakdown and obsession with a woman. Yeah, he's really like. He he fails out of his school, and then he tries to take her down with him, and you're kind of like, hey, buddy, what are you doing? Like, leave here. Right. So... Sally Field gets a haircut. Well, there is one right before that that, like, John Goodman is like, give me the phone, and I'll get rid of this telemarketer, and she's like, no, and then they have this fight. But I felt, in the moment of this scene, I was like, he's right to be mad at you. Now it looks like you're cheating on him. And, like, you made out mm-hmm. with him in the cab, which is cheating on him, but it was like... If that was all it ever was, like, okay, you probably don't ever tell them, and that's the end of that. But, like, of course he's yeah, mad. Because there was no emotion tied into that. Yeah. It wasn't like, we shouldn't do this. Right. It was, we shouldn't, right. but we will. It was just like, you kissed me, Yeah, buddy. yeah, exactly. And so, like, I could see why she didn't tell her husband that, like, some man kind of assaulted her. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, she goes to get her haircut. And it is terrible, in the words of Mike from It in the 90s. <laughs> it is terrible. <laughs> It is really, 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 really bad. It's a real tight poodle perm on her head. Yes. And she was like, I was just, and she knows it's bad. And she's crying in the kitchen and all, and her family is like making jokes and helping her and being really sweet. And I was like, wait, now, like, this is a real hard 180 that her family isn't garbage to her now. Right. And they also have a mention in this scene that like John Goodman isn't even capable of taking a roast out of the oven. If you're so incapable as a person that you can't take a roast out of the oven, I'm genuinely surprised you're able to breathe. Yeah, if you're that insecure in your masculinity, buddy, I would do something about it. Like, it's it's literally opening a door and putting a hot thing on top of the stove with an oven mitt. It is not, there's no cooking, it's just moving an object. Mm-hmm. So they come around super fast on the hair, though, and are like, oh, no, like, it's great. I think you look we awesome. Love you. You're the prettiest mom. And I was like, cool. But like, where was the support when she wanted to be a stand up comedian? Like, it's easy to lie your way through a bad haircut. Exactly. So like, are, yes, you, that ter- yes. are you still terrible? And then she immediately goes to Tom Hanks at this diner again. And yeah. 
there's a weird romantic undertone, and I don't understand why they try to shoehorn this in there between a young guy and a clearly uninterested older woman. Right, and also, it just bogs the whole movie down. Like, cut this out, we're down to like an hour and 50, and then the movie's significantly improved. Like, it just is one too many spices in this pot of stew. Yeah. It's like, and one of them we had a good like thing going. Cinnamon sugar. Right, right. And you're like, well, I mean, I guess it's fine, but I don't think I want cinnamon sugar in here. Like, I guess I guess I'll eat it, but I don't like it. Yeah. And then there's an extended like three to five minute sequence where he is like, fine, you don't love me. I'm going to do singing in the rain and just dances right. in the middle of the street in the rain for five minutes. Yeah. Tom Hanks is totally an incel in this movie. Uh, and it's really it's it's really kind of a problem. Yeah. Uh, incel is a contemporary word for piece of shit for anyone listening at home. <laughs> uh, it's, it's the, we don't have he, to like, go into the specifics he, for the mom listening. No, no, no. I'm no, I know. But what I'm saying is like, he is rejected by her and the problem isn't him. It's society. You know what I mean? Like that is the, the, the thing in a nutshell is like, I've been rejected and the problem isn't that I have to look within myself and s- examine it, but rather that all of society is mm-hmm. wrong. And I was like, and so Sally Field's like watching him tearfully. And this is where I was like, oh, so this is just a mental breakdown. And he's getting hit by a car. Yeah. But she's like crying watching him as though it's like this tearful, sweet thing. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Trim the fat movie. I don't feel any sympathy for him. No. I wrote, he's entirely unlikable and garbage. Other than the one second silent hospital scene, I hate him and he's not charming and endearing. And why is he the lead? Right. So we go to the competition and... The old man who's kind of like the mascot of the club and sings a song to close it every night isn't included in the competition. And he's like real sad about it. And it's kind of like, why are you so surprised, Jerry or whatever your name is? It would be Gerald. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, Tom Hanks is outside the club with a bullhorn live Statler and Waldorfing people as they come in. And I kind of love it. It's not like he checked in and was like, hey, guys, I don't go outside and keep them entertained, which would have been fine and made it interesting. Instead, right. it looks like he just stayed outside and never checked in for the contest. Well, I also thought this meant he wasn't in the competition, but later he is. Yeah, so it's like he's just like he heckled all of the judges on their way in. They just noticed him as that asshole guy who was mean to me before. It just seems yeah, stupid. Like, I, I don't care if he gets his dreams. Like, frankly, I don't want him to. Like in the movies, the right. person you want to achieve their dreams is the good person who's trying and like really hoofing it and really putting the effort in and is a good person tom hanks literally is none of those things and i was like oh so like i don't i don't care about him getting like i don't want him to get them i want him to get kicked in the back of the knees down a staircase and be like this is where you are right now fix it yeah yeah exactly so sally field gives a real big speech to john goodman and is like look i'm going after this thing it's a really big opportunity for me uh you know i'm gonna do this and he's like all right i just want to come watch and it's like what if that's all it took the whole time, why are you being such a poophead? So there was a reference, a brief throwaway reference earlier of like John Goodman's like, you won't let me come see. You say you want to follow this dream, and then you won't let me come support you in it. Like, and she's like, well, I don't, I don't. True, want-. he does say that so earlier. It is implied at one point he asked to come see and wasn't allowed to. That is true, but I, I don't know any follow up yeah. on that. Right. But frankly, if she she was just telling terrible jokes about her, not actually her husband, so like I get why she was like, don't come. I'm not good yet. Yeah, no, for sure. And then Tom Hanks is all butthurt that Sally Field brought her husband. 
Right. The whole Tom Hanks is in love with Sally Field secretly thing, I just, I have no time for it. I don't care for it. I don't know what we're doing here. No. That's how I feel about a lot of this movie. Like, we didn't spend enough time with the characters to really get a sense, and the characters we did spend time with didn't resolve in a way that made me satisfied. Right. And it's it's exacerbated by this next sequence, which is a montage of all of them doing their comedy, air quotes, please, around <laughs> the word comedy, because three quarters of it is just people singing songs, and not like you know, like Adam Sandler sings funny songs or whoever sings funny songs with funny lyrics. It's just people singing songs. Mm -hmm. But people laugh at them for some reason. Yeah, I do not get it. And then there's this one guy who's like a teacher and every time he gets on stage, like people don't listen to him and he's like, come on, the kids in my class really like this one. And it's like, well, that doesn't mean jack shit to anything. And all it is, there's there's no resolution to that character. It's just every time it's like, well, my kids like that, Joe. Well, that was that was Uber driver. Yeah, it was the Uber driver, but it's the same basic idea. And there's also just an absolutely insane amount of crowd work in this. Yeah, not only this part, but the whole thing. But like when you go to a comedy club, there might be like a little bit of, oh, what's your name? Where are you from? Kind of crowd work. It's like everyone 65% of the comedy. Yeah. And, and that's the other thing. If one comedian goes up and does crowd work, no one else is doing crowd work because they mind that thing. Like the, the, it's not just, Oh, we interviewed this one guy and got some funny stories. It's the idea of like, I broke the wall down and talked to the crowd. Once that's, card has been played you cannot play it again it loses like every single time it loses its effectiveness and in this movie it's like six people in a row being like so where's everybody from tonight like what they also got damon wayans to be in this movie for 0.02 seconds and gave him an angry black comedian character to play yeah yeah who gets like angry that people aren't laughing at his joke it's so dumb it's bad and then she does tell a really i have to be honest with you for the time period, probably a 10 on 10 joke about a vibrator. Oh, yeah. No, Sally Field stuff is great. I thought she was actually funny. Yeah, but like her t- her delivery and timing is good. But there's like a joke about I forget the phrasing of the joke exactly. And it's not as funny anymore now that like that's sort of a mainstream thing. And I'm guessing that it wasn't as mainstream at the time she's talking about it. But she's like, you know, if it says Panasonic, I don't know. Panasonic, okay, yeah, and whatever. But it was like a pretty well structured joke that I I liked a lot, and it was funny, and like it seemed like a genuine crowd laugh. You yeah, know? for sure. But before, right before Sally goes on, there's this weird scene with the old man who's like had a stroke or a heart attack, and I don't yes, know what I was yes, supposed to take yes. away from it. No, and he he's like he's like you know I won a competition once in my day, and winning a competition is like really good. And it's like yeah, no of shit, course, buddy. Like every. Every person who's watching this movie knows it's important to win the competition. But We've seen a movie before. He says it in a way that to Tom Hanks, that Tom Hanks looks back profoundly like, you know what? You're right, old man. It is important to like. <laughs> I am going to win this competition. Um, so she gets up there. She's in her element. She's like quipping and la- like people are laughing. She's pointing. She's having a good time. And I was like, oh, good. So she's going to win this thing. Because yeah. in movie world. She is the one who deserves to win. Like, we've seen her stakes, we've seen her journey and her art. Absolutely. Like, this is her movie yep. to win. And then, as the, all the comedians are... Oh, Tom Hanks has a full-on breakdown on stage, and it's just like... He just starts yelling at everybody and telling everybody they're trash and worthless and going on and in and after the judges, and it's like, how does this... And then and then he turns and starts telling like, and jokes and he gets the crowd on his side. Yeah, but it's like the fr- you wasted three minutes of your limited stage time in this competition to just talk about how you hate the fact that there is a competition at all. What are you doing, buddy? Don't know, yeah, don't know what you're trying to accomplish with this. 
So they send all the uh, comedians down to the basement, and Sally Field gets a note from her hu- I see. I thought it was a note from the club owner. So did I. So did she I. Gets a, so she did gets I. a bar napkin that says that our competition is over. Because he says our competition. Our yep. competition is over. Dash. You've won! Exclamation point. John. And I was like, oh, well, now she's not going to win. Like, she's either going to turn it down or something because she wouldn't learn this this early if she was going to keep it. And I also was like, well, it says John on the note, so John Goodman can't have sent that, which is a dumb thing. But I was like, surely they didn't name the character after the actor. Hey, Sarah Jessica Parker, Sister Sarah Sanderson, Hocus Pocus. Yeah, no, I know it happens all the time. I just, it was like, surely it's not John Goodman. Yeah. Um, and so he goes downstairs, the club owner is like, everyone come up on stage so they can renounce the winner. And they're all like, why don't you just tell us who won? And I was like, this is a TV show, you jamoke. <laughs> I think this is so early in reality TV that they don't like they genuinely don't know the formula. The fact that you got real right? commercial like, breaks is anything. <laughs> they haven't been like inundated with The Bachelor and its various iterations. Yeah. So he's like, they're like, why do we care who wins? It's, we all know it's Steven. And I was like, did y'all see his set? Yeah, I did not think he was the winner. And he goes, no, he didn't win. He got second place and they're all like, why? He had the best set. And I was like, again, are we sure? Yeah, dude, that's not what I saw. And then Sal- and also, also not for nothing, but like all of these people watched like a bunch of their peers just sing songs. And then Sally Field went up and told a bunch of great jokes. And then Tom Hanks went up and told 50% nonsense 50% and 50% panic attack. jokes. But it's obvious that the winner is the one who actually told jokes and then the one who sort of told jokes. Like, it's so obviously not any of these people who just danced in a nun habit. Yeah. And then Sally Field is like, you know what? I, I don't want to. I'm taking my disqualify me. I don't want to win. And he's and the guy's like, well, hang on. No, you, you won the competition. You have to go up there. And she's like, I really won. And he's like, yeah, now get up on stage. Let's, let's announce you as the winner. And she's like, yeah, no, I'm leaving. Thanks. I was so upset. You just wasted two hours and eight minutes of my life chasing a dream that I was rooting for you on. Yeah. Only to throw it away for Tom Hanks, who has zero redeemable qualities. Right. And this I think, movie is a waste of my time. And I think the idea is supposed to be like, oh, the, you know, she just wanted to prove that she could do it. And then she was done. And if that, that wasn't was, explained. Right. But the movie also doesn't end on that note because she's walking out with John Goodman, who's like, beaming with pride and so happy for her and he's like you are amazing this is such a cool thing and clearly he's going to be supportive of her trying to do this in the future yeah so why wouldn't she like be the successful comedian winner of the thing like they they're in the parking lot and he's like oh man you should tell this story about when our daughter did this thing and they're like having this really nice moment and they reconnect as a couple and it's nice but it's like he's on board now so you like gave up the dream before it was even fully crystallized for nothing, for absolutely nothing. She says, I won. And he's like, why? Well, then why are you? And why aren't you in there? And she's like, I have time. And I was like, you don't. You're 40. He's yeah. 25. Yeah. You get back up on stage and claim yeah. your crown. Yeah. I don't I don't get it at all. The ending of this movie genuinely baffled me. And, and it pissed me off. Yeah. And especially because she already knew her husband supported her because he wrote her that really nice note. And so it's like cool, now you're going to be supportive as I, like, gain a modicum of fame from doing this. Like, yeah, a 40-year-old housewife with three kids shows up on Carson and does a great set after doing a great set on live television. She's going to be huge and make a bunch of money and make their family's life easier. Like, yeah, what? It, it just made me so mad. I was so genuinely me mad. Royally pissed me off that the woman had to give up her dream so that shithead entitled Tom Hanks could yeah, get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And like, so when she, when she threatens to leave, cause apparently this isn't a ranking. This is a terrible way to do anything. He was like, you got three of the votes and was yeah. it three and two? Three and yeah. two. Yeah. She was like, you got three of the votes and he only got two of the votes. And I was like, why do we do it? Why didn't we just score everybody? Add them up. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like every other competition. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, don't You know... don't get to the end and like, I vote for this one person. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we've, we, that would be insane because you would have to like collect, you, you, you do scorecards so that you don't have to be burdened with like remembering every individual thing. Like you do each one live, then you add those numbers up. Yeah. Yeah. Because that means literally no one else got a vote. Well, to win. So no one. Yeah. That like baffles me because I was like, you had a couple people that like the, the Weasley guy that was the villain got a couple laughs. People seem to enjoy his comedy. Yeah. But I think I, well, the, the way the movie is shot and edited, it's very clearly Sally Field is the winner and Tom Hanks is second. And the, I don't, I didn't think there was a strong third, so I could no. see that. But also, even if you're not doing the scorecard thing, the judges would be like, I pick this person is the winner, this person is second, and this person is third. So if even if like it was like Sally Field got three first place votes, Tom Hanks got two, competition over, which is fine. Mm-hmm. You would just like okay, eliminate her from the competition. Your second becomes your first, your third becomes your second, and now who do you pick? You know, like it's so dumb. Yeah, but well, because the guy even says like, look, if you walk out of here, they're not going to hand it to him. Half of them hated him, right? So they're going to revote, right? And I was like, oh, good, because he's still, as long as she walks out and he still doesn't win, I'm happier. I'm happier than I would be. Right. But nope, he still wins. Yeah, no, it just stinks. It really stinks. He learns no accountability, no redeemable qualities. Right. He doesn't learn anything. She, I guess, learns that she can do this, but then has given up the best opportunity she's ever going to have. Because it's not like they're going to forget that, like, she won and then was like, later, bitches. Like, she's done. She's done mm-hmm. in terms of achieving at the next level. If if her only dream was to tell jokes at the gas station, then she's fine. But it doesn't seem like that was the dream. No, it felt like the dream was to be a successful comedian. Right. Waste of my time, this be. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't get this one at all. It was very, very, very strange. I did think it was cool that uh, Hanks apparently, like, hardcore went and tried to learn to be a stand-up and, like had people write jokes for him and went and told them in clubs to like really get a feel of what it was like. I thought that was kind of an impressive detail, but he's yeah. just such an unlikable character for such a likable person. It was crazy. Yeah. And apparently that was like a point of contention in the writing. Um, the executives didn't like the mix of comedy and they thought Tom Hanks character, they hated Tom Hanks character because they thought he was quote obsessive, certainly self-destructive and could be considered mean spirited. And I was like, yeah, that's what he was. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't get it at all. Yeah, he, he Tom Hanks seems like the wrong person for this role as well. I, I thought that was hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I obviously don't recommend this. I think that's very clearly also your opinion about it. God no. Um, but we obviously this podcast generally endorses endorses Tom Hanks. So yeah, there's other good. I mean, this is probably the first Tom Hanks movie I've ever seen that I was like, no, we're good. Honestly, a big part of the reason for doing it, not only is it the 30th anniversary of the movie, which is, you know, nice and we can tie those things in. I, I honestly had never even heard of this movie. And so when we were trying to figure out what I to had do, either. it was like, oh, a new Tom Hanks movie that I've never seen. I'll check that out. And it was like, I feel like very foolish for, for going down that road. But that's what yeah. it was. We got gooped. Yeah. As we, the gays say. We, we did. Thank you all so very much for listening to the show. We will give you some more details in just a second. Um but first, I want to remind you to check out patreon.com slash dissecting the 80s, where you can learn about the show 
and find out all the great stuff going on. We also have a Facebook and Twitter. It's at, at Dissect the 80s on Twitter. And if you just search Dissect the 80s on Facebook, we come up there. Like the page, say hi to us, whatever. Had a fun uh, little Twitter back and forth with a professional wrestler uh, this, this week. Uh, he recommended mm. some movies to us. If you're out there listening, uh, Austin Lane, remember that uh, we would really appreciate it if you dedicated your, you know, your title victory to the show. That would be a hoot for us. So if you if you want to slip dissecting the '80s into a promo or something like that and send it to us, I will play it on the show. If you're if you're able to do that, I will do it. So, um, but yeah, go in, go in, go in a title on behalf of the podcast, please. Yeah, and feel free to say we sponsor you. Like you can throw us, we'll send you a sticker. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I guess we could do that. We'd have to make a sticker, but we could probably make that happen. Um, a sticker seems easy. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for supporting the show. Uh, our next episode is the bizarre children's film Purple People Eater, and yes, it is based on the song. Uh, that'll that'll kick off December. That will be out on December the third. Uh, three episodes from us this this holiday season. Thank you once again for listening to the show. I have been Triplano. I will always be Andrew Lena. Until December 3rd. Don't you forget about me. Dissecting the 80s is a chum sum of this production. <laughs> <laughs>